Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC's orthopedics team, offering hip, knee, joint, spine, and back treatments. Learn more at upmc.com slash centralpaortho. Welcome to The Spark. I'm Scott Lamar. Friday is when we talk with journalists about the week that just transpired on The Spark. With us today is WITF's Capitol Bureau Chief, Sam Dunklaw. Sam, I have to say welcome back. Coming back from family leave for the past two months. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Uh, we're going to see how this goes and see if I remember how to do this. <laughs> but it's always a pleasure to be with well, you. Well, how's the family after two months? The family is doing very, very well. The, yeah, the young family. That's right. Yeah, we had our daughter just a few months ago, and uh, the wife and I are just sort of getting used to things. But, you know, I think things are going just as well as they can be. So you went from... Um you know, maybe not sleeping uh, all, all night to coming back to the Pennsylvania capital where, I don't know, it, it, it kind of can remind you sometimes of uh, a playpen. <laughs> right, yeah. I wasn't getting any sleep then either, so we may as well may as well continue on the train. Huh? All right, so let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, what's going on this week? What's the latest in the stalemate in the Pennsylvania House of Representatives? So uh, House Speaker Mark Rossi has convened a working group, you know, as, as some listeners may know, um, to try to f- uh, break, you know, the, the big log jam that is in place right now, one of them, which is uh, getting the House House to agree to the procedural rules that govern the chamber. If the House or any elected organization in the state does not have rules under which to function, when to bring up motions, bills, and so forth, what the rules of debate are and things like that, then you can't conduct business. Um, that has been an important thing for, uh, you know, that, that, that's been usually a routine thing every session. But uh, since, you know, Democrats are potentially poised to take control of the chamber in the next few months, um, activists, uh, good government people have kind of jumped on this opportunity to reform, to change what the rules have been in the House in the last uh, 10 years or so. A lot of people have said those rules have gotten in the way of getting popular legislation, um, of which there are myriad bills that we can talk about. Um, debated and at least voted on. Um, if you set rules up a certain way, you don't necessarily have to do that. So so right now, the speaker has conver- uh, convened a working group and has listening or doing some listening sessions across the state. He did one on Wednesday in Pittsburgh, uh, listening to folks in that community, give some feedback to the working group about what the rules should look like. He's going to have one uh, tonight in Philly. Um, the expectation is that the working group will then take some of that feedback and then create the rules accordingly. But there's been a lot of... Uh, partisan back and forth about really what the intention is behind listening to people as far as the rules go anyway. Let's take a step back because this is so unusual that there was a Democrat that uh, was elected uh, as the uh, Speaker of the House, even though technically Democrats did not have the majority at that time. Republicans agreed to uh, Mark Rousey. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were under the impression apparently that... uh, you know, he was going to uh, re-register as an independent. That hasn't happened. Where are we with all that? I mean, we have some name calling going back and forth. We have some people saying that uh, Rossi was dishonest and it wasn't forthcoming. H- hence, I go back to what I was saying about the playpen. Yeah. What's interesting about that is that he's actually he's gotten attacks about that uh, from both sides in the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, folks like uh, Democratic Representative Emily Kincaid took to Twitter shortly after uh, the speaker's election to say that, you know, in no small part that 
Rozzy had betrayed his party. I mean, she, she had some pretty nasty stuff to say about Rozzy as far as that goes. So um, in terms of whether or not he's going to follow through, I think that Rozzy is getting pressure from both sides to both follow through with his commitment to being independent and from his party, you know, who helped get him elected and in his district that is largely democratic. Um, for him to remain loyal to the party. I think that he's making no quick decisions on that. Um, and it's unsurprising that, you know, it, it's unsurprising that, that somebody would make a shrewd political move like that in order to get the speakership. And there, there's a lot of complicated things going on there. Mm. But there, and there are real world consequences to this. Someone tuning in may say, well, this is a, a lot of politics. And yes, it is a lot of politics. But there are world, real world consequences in that uh, there's legislation that uh, Rossi wants to see passed, and that has to do with sexual abuse survivors. Mm -hmm. Republicans want uh, a constitutional or a couple constitutional amendments passed. Talk about that and what the legislation is and how it ha actually has an impact on Pennsylvanians. Yes. Yeah, so, of course, with the House being... With the House not having convened for business, there is no legislation that can occur. I mean, in, in fact, committees aren't even meeting in the House uh, where, you know, the legislative process really begins. Uh, committees help air bills. There's public testimony that goes on for all sorts of things. Now, the Senate has convened. And, of course, uh, newly elected uh, Governor Josh Shapiro uh, has taken office. Um, he's signed an executive order or two already, has made his cabinet appointments. Two of three are ready to go, but one... Is, is still working on it. So unless you have all three, you simply can't have a legislative process. So yeah, so it's it's going to be some time before really the legislature picks up. Now, there's some, uh, there's some understanding, um, at least in, in, here in the last week, that the House will reconvene for business at the end of February. Um, and as many listeners know, but just as a reminder, uh, there are uh, a series of three special elections that are coming up on February 7th to uh, get the three vacant seats that are in the House filled at which time they'll be sworn in. So, like, so the uh, the late convening of the House session is supposed to coincide with enough time for those folks, whoever they may be, to get elected and to be sworn in. And once the uh, chamber is at its full capacity, then it will it will begin business. But um, as for, you know, there, there's another real world consequence that's happening right now today. This is today, I believe, is the deadline uh, for the constitutional, uh, the series of constitutional amendments that you mentioned. Today would be the day that the legislature would have to get that passed in order for it to make it to the ballot in time for May. That is the May primary. Correct. Yeah. That that is simply not going to happen. I mean, the House uh, could consider that package of legislation later on in the year, but it would not end up on the ballot. Uh, for the primary. And of course, Republicans who are sponsoring that piece of legislation really want to put legislation like that on the May primary because primaries tend to favor Republicans a little bit more than Democrats. So we have a lot of 3D chess going on here. And yeah, I guess it is kind of like a playpen. Yeah. <laughs> so just to remind our listeners out there, what are the pieces of legislation, the constitutional amendments that Republicans want and what uh, Speaker Rossi wants? So in some part, uh, the Republicans have tied uh, Speaker Rossi's constitutional amendment, or at least the constitutional amendment that has support from people like Rossi, from people like Republican State Representative Jim Gregory, to open a two-year window uh, for survivors of sexual abuse to sue their abusers and the institutions that may have housed them. Uh, there has been you know, opposition to that from the Catholic Church, and that has been a long-standing fight that has lasted years and years um, and has been very frustrating uh, for especially survivors who have advocated for that legislation. So you have that. But uh, Republicans also have 
have in that package of constitutional amendments uh, a amendment to change the voter ID rules in the state to require in some part that uh, folks show an ID at the polls every time they go instead of just the first time you go, which is current state law. Um, I can recall that uh, after the election, um, when the Senate elected its new leadership, uh, Senate now Senate President uh, Kim Ward had said voter ID is essential. It's incredibly important to that caucus. So it's not surprising that they tied the two together. Um, I think that that's the Senate saying, if you want this, then give us that. But Razi and I, I think Democrats in large part are, are unwilling to, to, to talk about that. You mentioned that uh, the House will come back uh, February 27th. It's, uh, that's what it's supposed to do right now. And the Senate as well. So even though all these things are going on in the House, the Senate is not scheduled to come back until February 27th as well. But one of the things that is so unusual about this, I don't know whether it's ever happened before, is that Speaker Rossi has actually ordered the doors to the chamber at the House locked. And it's gotten some pushback, not just for political reasons, but uh, even, uh, Brian Cutler, Republican uh, leader who was former Speaker of the House, said, you know, we can't bring guests in here. We had people that would come in to see the school groups, to see the legislative process. You're not even allowing them in. So, I mean, it's gotten to a point where it seems very personal. It does. And, and it strikes me as incredibly performative, too, because um, both Rozzi and Gregory and other uh, advocates for the, uh, the you know, abuse window legislation, have tried and failed for years and years to get that piece of legislation across the finish line. It's gotten to the point where it's a constitutional amendment. Um, and uh, I think I said something before the program, you know, when you when you give somebody with a chip on their shoulder, you know, an exorbitant amount of power, things like this may very well happen. Rozzi is, you know, performative or otherwise demonstrating to the chamber and to the larger state, unless this gets done, Things like this will continue. Uh, it's sort of like, a, I don't want to say a, a last stand, but more, more or less an ultimatum. This is personal for Speaker Rossi, of course, and you mentioned uh, Representative Jim Gregory, both of which are survivors of sexual abuse as children. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that is one of the reasons that it, it is so personal mm -hmm. and why uh, Rossi and Gregory, but Rossi being the speaker, is so passionate about uh, getting this two-year window for sexual abuse survivors. So I think that a lot of people can understand that. And he is frustrated, uh, or at least reportedly frustrated, mm -hmm. because Republicans are tying that voter ID constitutional amendment to sexual abuse survivors getting justice. So that's where we're right, at. and and that uh, that again is is the games that um, that folks are choosing to play, I, I suppose you know, and and there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, you know, while the House and Rossi have their amount of power, uh, Kim Ward and the Senate has her power, and so you know you, you you've got a lot of you know, clashing. It's Friday, and we invite journalists on the program on Friday, and with us today, Sam Dunklaw, WITF's Capitol Bureau Chief. Sam, County Commissioners Association of Pennsylvania, every year at the beginning of the year, they uh, make a list of legislative priorities. Counties very often, in most cases, have mandates from the state what they can do, what they can't do. So they list these legislative priorities. And something I always want to mention when we talk about the, the legislature and even county government is that 
people are affected by these things. So the legislative priorities for this year with uh, the, the County Commissioners Association outline, what are they? There's a number of them, and I think it's it's particularly revelatory to look at those priorities because you're talking about you know a group of county-level leaders who believe that these are the things that they can get done in the next year. You know, they have lobbyists and folks that pay attention to the legislature intently. They've gotten sort of a, a at least a rudimentary roadmap of what things might look like in the next year with a chaotic house, with a new governor, um, and they think that these are the things that can get done. So the, the top-line things for me... Um, a necessity to re-up the funding model for 911 uh, emergency services. I'm talking specifically about the 911 call centers, how those are funded. Um, uh, Getting more mental health resources into counties uh, in the form of more funding uh, and uh, for uh, changes to the election code. So let me talk about those first, uh, since we've talked about these things repeatedly on this program and in other places. Counties are once again asking the state for more uh, what's known as pre-canvassing time, more time to be able to uh, process mail-in ballots ahead of Election Day. As we were reminded during the 2022 midterms, as we have seen in every election since Act 77, the law that uh, really opened the door for mail-in voting in the state, the simple fact is that because mail-in voting is more available, more people are voting, and de- counties continue to get a deluge of ballots ahead of Election Day that they are then only allowed to look at on Election Day. Now, counties got more money to be able to do that this year. You know, the legislature has kind of tried to work with counties in terms of a fix to help that uh, go along, but counties are still saying, you know, that's great that we got more money to be able to help us to hire more staff to get the ballots processed on Election Day faster, but we still want more time. The amount of time was talked about a little bit at the press event that they held uh, earlier this week. Um, We've heard as much as a week before, maybe two weeks, maybe three. Uh, It all depends on what the legislature is willing to go for. So so there's that. And then rolling back the uh, absentee and mail-in ballot application deadline just to give the counties more time to be able to get a mail-in ballot in your hand. Right now, you can walk into a county... Uh, office or or apply for a mail-in ballot up to a week before the election. It's not enough time. Mail's too slow. Uh, the counties are hamstrung in order to get those ballots out, and people can be disenfranchised. So um, they've tried since Act 77 to get those things across the finish line. Uh, the legislature, at least under Republicans, were unwilling to discuss that. Maybe things will change this year, again, with a Democratic governor and with a potentially some, some party shakeup uh, in the House. Well, you said that Republicans have been unwilling to discuss it. Actually, they did discuss it, but they tied it to uh, voter ID. Right, right. Which yeah. we tied, and, and Governor Wolf, former Governor Wolf, vetoed that package that included both of them. Republicans said, no voter ID. We're not doing these things for counties. The things that, that you just, just described for what counties want... Mm-hmm. I mean, quite frankly, it's common sense, and it's what happens in other states. It's the reason that Pennsylvania may not report election results uh, until two or three days later. And, you know, maybe something will get done because it does make sense for everyone involved. It it doesn't. And and let me just, you know, be clear that uh, counties have wanted a a clean conversation on those two things. Right. Separated. Right, right. So there have been um, a few Republicans and a couple of Democrats in the House that have kind of gotten together and introduced bills to allow those two things specifically. But again, um, 
this is again another instance of well while we're at it why don't we also include our priorities if this is important to you let us get something that's important to us across the finish line and yeah there was there was really no conversation on that mental health services mm-hmm. counties have desperately for the last 5 or 6 years maybe even longer been calling for more money for mental health services because it's up to the counties to you know to provide those mental health services in many cases in their county jails, we have seen different percentages, but high high percentages, of inmates who probably uh, you know who could be considered uh, mentally ill, suffering from mental illness, and counties are saying we just don't have the money, we don't have the resources. Is this something that could get done? I think in some small part it, it probably could. Um, it, this uh, I think speaks to the larger uh, issue that's going on nationally. Um, you know, the Biden administration, for one thing, has talked about um, in things like uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, in ARP, um, in some of the other funding things that have come out of the pandemic, to say we need to really be driving more resources into communities to get the mental health infrastructure uh, up and going. And that could pay for a lot of things. It could pay for more mental health centers. It can pay for more uh, licensed therapists. A psychologist. Um, it, it, there, there's a whole, there's a whole, well, you know, universe of things that could be used to help build that infrastructure up. But, but yeah, the 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 issue is particularly acute here in Pennsylvania, as you mentioned, Scott. Um, uh, we did uh, a you know pretty extensive investigation in the last year um, about you know what folks face who are suffering mental illness when they end up getting warehoused into jails. Uh, many violent interactions occur, and and political leaders have expressed frustration at that. And uh, I, I do know that a few of the leaders that were talking about this last year said, we should really introduce some legislation to at least tackle how jails are treating folks with mental illness. But there hasn't really been a lot of discussion about, well, should there be more state funding? There's a particular pool of money that has been talked about to get uh, to help uh, you know counties to kind of bulk up their mental health infrastructure. A uh, hundred million dollars in in American Rescue Plan money that's still sitting in state coffers, that I believe is earmarked for mental health in some capacity. All counties are asking for is let's drive that money out and let's get that into our communities to bulk up the community mental health resources as they are so that that way that people who need help are not ending up in a place that's just simply not built to handle them. Quickly, uh, 911 service is one of the issues that hasn't got as much attention. I think it's one of those things that many Pennsylvanians, well, just take for granted that it's there, it's ready to go, it's funded because they do pay a tax. And probably many aren't aware that uh, there's not enough money for upgrades in all areas of the state. So what's going on there? So the the simple thing is at at the end or at the beginning of next year, the funding model, so the state set up a law that said, guess what, you get to charge people a tax in order to pay for this. That's going to expire at the end of January. So there is supposed to be or, or what counties are hoping for some discussion about whether or not to renew that funding model at very minimum, or to perhaps either increase the surcharge or figure out another way for state resources to be driven out to the 911 call centers. A lot of 911 call centers are still using analog phones, which are handy, but they don't really, uh, a lot of counties have said, you know, we need to be able to see where people are a little more accurately. We need to be able to using to use the internet in a, a more efficient way to help more people. So they're starting to upgrade these systems, these more internet-based protocol systems called uh, Next Generation 911, but that, that's going to take some money. So there's some, some discussion about how that's going to be paid for and what you know 911 is going to look like in the next couple of years. 
Larry Krasner, district attorney in Philadelphia, there was a move last year to impeach him um, because high crime rate, number of uh, shootings in Philadelphia. Uh, he was a reformer and uh, was seen as being soft on crime. That kind of went, I won't say it went away, but there was a court ruling that kept that from moving. Well, now there's another move in the Senate to, re, to, to restart that impeachment of Larry Krasner in about 90 seconds. What's up with that? Yeah, the two House impeachment managers, uh, the two Republican House impeachment managers said, you know, I... I think that we still have a case. I think that, or you know, the both of them have said, you know, we think that Larry Krasner has uh, committed misbehavior in office, and we think that the articles of impeachment that the House drew up demonstrate that. So what they're hoping to do is have a more substantive case in front of the state Supreme Court, where the state Supreme Court goes through and looks at some of the specific items. And of course, Krasner has repeatedly said, um, they're not really charging me with any crime. This is simply, uh, you know, well, it's political in nature. I haven't really done anything wrong. The House just has a problem with how I've run my office. So we'll see how that goes. Mm. So is there anything scheduled for that? or, or just So the appeal was filed yesterday, and now the Supreme Court will need to consider whether it will take it up, and then uh, arguments uh, will, will be scheduled accordingly. So that's it's going to be on hold at least for, for probably the next month or so. Uh, 30 seconds or less, anything we can expect over the next week? Just more uh, stalemates in the House, you know, maybe another working group discussion or two. But for right now, uh, no legislation in February, perhaps the saddest of months. I have uh, invited Speaker Rossi to appear on the program, I mean, as part of his listening tour, but haven't heard back from his office. That doesn't, I don't know. Yeah, keep your fingers crossed. Well, we'll, we'll see. I think it'd be a great discussion. We can talk about, uh, you know, what uh, what he's hearing from uh, Pennsylvania voters. But uh, Sam Ducklaw, uh, WITS uh, Capitol Bureau Chief. Sam, thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks for being, or thanks for having me. You're listening to The Spark on WITF, your home for NPR and discovering all things local. I'm Scott Lamar. <laughs>